Welcome to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. My name is William Rogers. I'm going to continue teaching through the book of Revelation as I started many, many months ago. And I want to get right to the context today. The, the verse of scripture that I'll be teaching on is Revelation chapter 14. We've begun this last week and I want to continue with this this week. And I'm going to read some verses to you and, and I encourage you if you have a copy of God's word to follow along with me if you would like. Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. The Word of God reads, beginning in verse 1, And I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of loud thunder, and the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song except 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they have kept themselves chaste. They are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been purchased from among men as first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And no lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. Imagine that being written of you. Imagine that is the description of you in the last few days of your life or in the last seven years, which is what this is about. This is about a group of people who have survived the tribulation period. And last week we began to ask and answer the question, will anyone survive? Who will be able to stand? We said that really that question comes at the end of verse uh, six in Revelation, and it's answered in verse in chapter seven of Revelation by giving a sample of some of the ones who will survive the tribulation period. In Revelation chapter seven, we're introduced to a uh, a group of people, 144,000, and we don't have to guess who these are. Uh, there are 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel, and it goes on to say 12,000 from each tribe. And in the midst of God's wrath, which is what the Revelation uh, is teaching in the book of uh, Revelation, the, the tribulation period, they will be marked out as those whom uh, Malachi wrote when he said, The Lord knows who are his, and he has a book. And in that day he will make up his jewels. All will be there. All uh, He knows who will belong to him. They are protected when his wrath falls. He did it with Noah. He did it with Rahab. He did it with Lot. Uh, he did it for the faithful uh, in Egypt. He can do it again, and he will do it again. And there will be some people who will survive all of that. And like I mentioned last week, when you go through and you begin to look at all that is involved in the tribulation period, the wrath and the judgment, the fury of, of Satan and his host of demons, and the amount of demonic activity on the earth, the earthquakes and the violent storms. In fact, Luke says that men's hearts will fail them. In other words, people will be dying of heart attacks with fear over what is actually coming and approaching them. And yet there will, there will be some who will survive all of that. And so I want to just kind of give you uh, some general observations as I've gone through this just to kind of help you because I hear from many of you and uh, I think through these things all the time as far as ways that we can make it 
more simpler. I know I've had I've got several that are, are reading the book of Revelation, trying to study it, and they keep coming to me saying it is so difficult to just keep your sanity when you go through this or to to mark down or to try to keep some kind of order. And I always tell them, don't try to put this chronologically in order because it doesn't fall that way. Some points it is, and then other points you're going back, and then other points you're going into the future. And that's what happens in chapter 14. And we'll explain that in a minute. But I want to give you just a few general observations as we begin this very important section known as Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. There will be some who will survive the tribulation period. That's right. You can mark that down. There will be some. Uh, But that some is only believers. In other words, there will be no unbelievers survive the tribulation period. Now, if they do survive the tribulation period, they will immediately uh, be sent to their eternal destiny by the sheep, what is called the sheep-goat judgment, or some people call it the judgment of the Gentiles, uh, that will happen shortly after his arrival to earth, that is, the Lord's arrival to earth. So, if they do happen to survive, they will be uh, taken part in that point which means they won't survive. And when I say they won't survive the tribulation, it means they won't go all the way through the end and into the next phase, which will be the kingdom. So there will be some that will actually survive the seven years that will be lost, but they're going to meet their eternal destiny with the judgment of the Gentiles. And then number two, uh, Matthew chapter 24, ta- Matthew chapter 25 talks about that judgment. If you want to catch up on some reading here and read about that judgment, it will not be a judgment of Jews because at that point, only Jewish, all the Jews that are saved are truly saved and they will go right into the kingdom. There's no judgment necessary. And so uh, the question that I want to seek to answer today as we go through this particular section of Scripture is, why will some survive? In other words, does God allow survivors at the end of the tribulation period to go right in, uh, to just keep going? Uh, what happens after the tribulation period? After the sheep-goat judgment or after the, uh, the judgment of the Gentiles, what, what comes next? In other words, why does God allow survivors during uh, at the, or through the tribulation period to make it? I mean, when you think about all that is going to be happening, there's going to be many people, uh, according to Revelation chapter 9, that don't want to survive. They're going to try to kill themselves. So survival is not going to be something on their wish list, or as we would say today, it's not going to be on their bucket list just to survive the day. Many of them don't want to survive. In fact, so much so that Revelation chapter 9 says many will seek death but will not find it. So they're going to desire to die but can't die. So why does God allow survivors? Well, we're, we're going to, uh, to uh, seek to answer that today. Now, there will be a judgment of the nations and the sheep and those who are still alive are sheep in the sense that they believe the gospel and have been saved. We find that in Matthew chapter 25, as I've mentioned, and they will go directly into the kingdom. 
So right off the bat, I can give you the answer. Why does God allow survivors? Well, he allows survivors to to make it through the tribulation and through the sheep-goat judgment, which will be only sheep that go through that, gu- that, that judgment and survive that, will be able to go right into the kingdom. In other words, believing people will go right into the kingdom straight from the tribulation period through the sheep-goat judgment directly into the kingdom. In fact, the only people that go into the kingdom will be saved individuals. So, we're looking at Revelation chapter 14, and in addition to the believing people, this is a sample of those. This is a group pulled out from those to look at them separately, but they're all going to go, all 144,000, directly into the kingdom. They will be protected, but there will also be others who will survive to enter into the glorious kingdom. There will only be people... Uh, There will not only be people from the nations, there will be Jews, the salvation of the nations, the salvation of Jews will take place. As I mentioned, there will be Jews that the Lord will protect. In fact, all of the Jews that see his return are saved, which is a promise fulfilled in, in Romans where it says, all Israel shall be saved. So some of the Gentiles will survive, some of the Jews will survive. Together they will constitute the people that will make up the kingdom. That basically, in a nutshell, is the answer to the question, why does God allow survivors through the tribulation and the judgments? That's it. And so we, we, we look at this, and many of them, the, the, the survivors, probably most of them, or many, many who are believers, uh, Jew and Gentile, will die as martyrs. So not all believers are going to die, or not all believers are going to live through it. Most believers will die as martyrs, and many of the Jews will perish as unbelieving Jews. So that becomes a very interesting thing to look at. So no doubt people will will be dying as martyrs all the way through the tribulation period. I don't want to leave the impression in your mind that they won't. But here is one specific group who will be preserved intact. Now, last week we looked at the beginning of this group, and uh, we see that they are going to be a group, 144,000. We, we said that they were very equal to, or the same group as Revelation chapter 7. And the first thing we looked at last week was, where are they? And we said Mount Zion. And uh, it's amazing to me how much I've read since then, just since last week, of how many people will say uh, that they have died and gone to heaven. And I want, I want to just give you a sample, not to cut down anyone, because we all have so many different things we believe, but I just want to give you a sample of, of what's out there uh, as far as what most people are actually reading right now. John Walford would agree and disagree with Charles Ryrie. He believes the same group of witnesses, but says they're standing with the Lamb on earthly Mount Zion in Israel. And that's what I believe. I believe that right there. But uh, Amir brings out the point that, that Charles Ryrie teaches that this is a heavenly Zion, uh, and uh, many people, in fact, he's, he says do. Tim LaHaye, he says, does. Of course, I'm not a lot of people are really reading Tim LaHaye for information about Revelation, but still he mentions all these people. 
But Amir himself says he has no reason to distinguish, and I quote this, between the 144,000 of chapter 7 and the 144,000 of chapter 14. He says they're the same. That seal represented God's protection through the tribulation. But then he comes along and says, and I quote, is this, but as this chapter opens, we're getting a preview of the end of the seven years of God's wrath. Those faithful young men have given their testimony, and the seal of protection has kept them safe. However, now listen to this, once their task was completed, it was very likely that they were allowed to be killed. Well, why do we have to assume they're killed? Uh, I think it is a, a giant leap to take there. Uh, I don't believe they're killed at all. This is similar to what happened earlier, and he brings out the point of the two witnesses. It says, I quote, They were given special protection where it says no one could harm them during the three and a half years of their ministry, but when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. Well, that's, that's what did happen to the two witnesses that we found in chapter 11. But we also are told about those two witnesses. They had a specific timeline, a specific number of days they were to have a testimony. These 144,000 of chapter 7 and chapter 14 are not so designated like that. Uh, they are not given a specific timeline. They are protected to go all the way through. And so when we see them on Mount Zion, which is where we see them in Revelation chapter 1, they are there for a reason. They are there because they actually have survived. They will go alive into the kingdom, and I believe once they get into the kingdom, they're going to continue what they did before the kingdom, and which is what most people believe about this, is that they will go alive into the kingdom. Uh, that they will continue to be a testimony and a witness for Christ, since they will be Jewish men. And the book of uh, the Old Testament does teach us that if the Gentiles want to see Christ or come to Christ, they will go on the coat uh, tail of, of Jewish people. They will take them to Christ. So, it is a very interesting thing to look at these men, but... Uh, in chapter 14, it thrills me because we were given the exact number and we're not told that it was, uh, say, 139,500 and that 500 could not be located or they disappeared. So we look at that and we understand that uh, uh, God's protection did actually protect them. And when it says he saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, uh, standing on Mount Zion is the earthly Mount Zion. Uh, and so it, it is, uh, it's amazing, though, strangely, how so many people who teach Revelation teach that this is a vision of heaven, uh, which is what I just read you. They want to equate Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 and 24, uh, the discussion of heavenly Zion, and there is a discussion of the heavenly Zion, which is just another way to express the abode of God in heaven, but there is also an earthly Zion that I think these some of these uh, preachers and teachers and prophecy experts seem to forget. And that is the earthly one. The whole point here would be lost if the 144,000 are in heaven. Because if they're in heaven, well, then they didn't stand. It, we said that last week's question was, 
who will be able to stand, which is the last few words of Revelation chapter 6, last verse, and then chapter 7, the 144,000, saying these are the ones who will be able to stand. This is a sampling of the sum of the ones who will be able to stand. But if they're killed at the end of the tribulation period, then they weren't able to stand. Is that correct? Well, I think it is correct. And so, if these people are in heaven, then that means they died. And the promise of survival was void, and the mark didn't really, well, it didn't mean anything. But they are not in heaven, as I tried to point out last week. And uh, they are alive, standing on Mount Zion, with the Lord Jesus Christ. Which means, here's what that means, that the Lord Jesus Christ has returned to earth at his second coming there with him. This is not the heavenly Zion of Hebrews 12. This is the Mount Zion of earth. In fact, Jewish belief, Jewish tradition expressed, for example, in Joel 2, you can read that if you like, write it down, Joel chapter 2, verse 32, always expecting a rallying of the faithful at Zion when the Messiah would come. And here it is, the Messiah has come, and here are the most faithful of that, the 144,000, 12,000 from every tribe of the nation of Israel, of the Jewish men. Now, I have, I've, I've also read that this is not an exact number, that uh, this here, this is just a symbolic number. Well, that what a cop-out. That's not true. This is exactly what it says it is. It even gets specific to say 12,000 from every uh, tribe of Israel. Now, the Seventh-day Adventists come along and say, well, they are the ones... If you're a Seventh-day Adventist, you know the most important act of righteousness is to keep the Sabbath. And if you follow the logic a little bit, it's going to be 144,000 perfect Seventh-day Adventists. Well, it's not. On the other hand, the Jehovah Witnesses, they say, and for a long time they said it was, it was only the Jehovah Witnesses are going to make it to heaven. But the number began to grow so much that they had to adjust that and have adjusted it. But the Mormons also have claimed that, it, 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 as one writer has said, that it's a special group of, uh, of history's most outstanding Mormons. Uh, others have said that it's the most outstanding Christians. Well, listen, I just want to be very clear and go on the record with this. We know who these people are. They're not Seventh-day Adventists. They're not Jehovah Witnesses. They're not Mormons. They're not an elite group of Christians. Who are these people? Revelation 7 and 14, tell us. There are 12,000 Jewish men out of every tribe of the nation of Israel, making it 144,000. We don't have to get special here. It's right there in black and white. Now, you might think, well, of course it is. I see it. Who would say otherwise? Well, it would be amazing to you to realize how many people say it. I've even had people contact me in the last couple of weeks and try to correct my teaching. I'm just taking it straight from the Word of God, folks. As I have always said, I believe that when the Bible speaks, God speaks, and I believe it to be true. I even believe it to be true from cover to cover, and I don't have to give some special interpretation or translation of this. I just read it as it is. So the Lamb is on Zion, on earth, and He's come back. He's done exactly what Joel 2.32 said. He's gathered His own people around Him. They're the ones who were sealed 
John Phillips writes this, No other age has produced a company like this uh, uh, army of militant believers marching unscathed through every form of danger, talking about the revela- talking about the tribulation period. It has been theirs to defy the dragon, which is Satan himself, to bait the beast, to give lie, uh, to give the lie of the false prophet. Their calling has been to preach the gospel from the housetops, even uh, to the, the to his name, even to the name of the name of Christ, called the most dreadful penalties. They have surrounded, they have been surrounded these latter days, uh, these latter day jobs, uh, with impenetrable hedges, able to laugh or to scorn all the grand inquisitors of hell. They have walked. I'm, I'm reading a quote from John Phillips. They have walked the streets in broad daylight, careless uh, of the teeth gnashing rage of their would be torturers and assailants, true witnesses of Jehovah in the most terrible era of the history of mankind. I apologize for reading it so terrible. I just keep wanting to rush ahead. The devil knows about this coming band of conquerors and writhers already in agony of anticipation of this. That's what John Phillips writes. So, folks, we know who these people are. We know exactly who they are. They're the 144,000 Jewish men from 12,000 from each of the tribes. So, we know exactly who they are, and so it's given us there, and we know exactly when the time frame is, and this is at the second coming of Christ. There is so much that is going on here at this particular time uh, that this uh, really an amazing thing. And some of these... Uh, earthly or general observations that I wanted to give you or have given you some. I want to give you a couple more. Uh, This is possibly during the very beginning of the 75-day interval between the end of the tribulation and the beginning of the millennium. We know about that, and I'll cover that in detail later. But I think this is at the beginning of those 75 days, uh, possibly uh, before the sheep-goat judgment. I think it's uh, very possible that it's just before it. And this is uh, after, uh, which is was a question this week, this is after the Battle of Armageddon, because after the Battle of Armageddon, Christ comes. So, it is a, uh, a tremendous time. It's a, it's a very strange time on earth, because I believe that it's, it could even be just before the earth is cleaned up or recreated, as, as Isaiah 66 says. Actually, the last ten chapters of Isaiah talk about the reforming of the earth uh, for the kingdom, getting ready for the kingdom and how it's going to look. So it's a very strange time on earth for people to be living and to be observing all that is happening there. But I want to uh, continue on with this because I want to get to uh, some other things. Uh, so that is all under last week's uh, number one protection found in verse one. We see that protection and they did make it. They did die and go to heaven. So now, number two, we see the praise in verses two and three. And I heard a voice from uh, from heaven, uh, like the sound of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder, and the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpers playing on their harps. Now, what he's saying here basically uh, is that the sound that he's hearing is that of the, the praise that's coming from heaven. And here we see immediately when 144,000 are on the mountain with the Lamb, they begin to join in the heavenly song of redemption. With all the devastation around them, all that they have been through, man, I would imagine they're singing as loud as they can. 
And But the whole point here is that the voice that he hears, when it says, uh, I heard from heaven. Uh, now, this can be, uh, another way to look at this is, they are on earth, and the voices from heaven are above them coming down. Just another little proof that this is actually, the stage is actually the earthly Mount Zion. They're hearing all of what's going on in heaven, and they're chiming in with the 144,000 on the earth. And so here we have immediately the song of redemption and all that is around them. Uh, but the, the voice that is coming from heaven... It's basically God speaking. Uh, who is who is in heaven is doing this? Who in heaven would be singing like this to match them? And it would be, we've seen that all the way through. It's the elders are singing, the angels are singing. And so we have all of this music that is happening here. Now this great voice takes on musical tone. We find musical instruments. Uh, we don't find them in Revelation chapter 4 in the praise or in Revelation 5. Uh, we, but we do, or in Revelation chapter 7. But all of a sudden, they do appear here in Revelation chapter 14. Harps are mentioned, by the way, about 40 times in the Old Testament. And they are associated with joy. And so we can see almost immediately that it's like the harpist playing the sounds. It doesn't say that they are, but it does It seems to indicate to us that the harps and the music is coming along. So it says in verse 3, they... Uh, the, the nature of the song, they sing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one can learn that song, no one uh, except 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. No one can sing the song except 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. Well, why then? Well, we know that uh, heaven itself cannot sing over redemption. Angels can rejoice over someone else's redemption we know that. Luke chapter 15 gives us a couple of parables about that. But this uh, singing is, uh, is by those who have experienced salvation. And so when we look at this, it's really giving us another look at the triumphant or the victory of these 144,000 uh, who are in a celebratory mood because of their salvation. And after all, men... When they have been through what they've been through, and suddenly the Lord comes back and he's standing there with them, I can't even imagine what that's like. But I do think that this, what they're seeing Christ at this moment, probably looks like exact image of what the Mount of Transfiguration had when Peter, James, and John saw transfigured right in front of them, the Lord Jesus Christ, from the incarnation to his full glorifying self, I believe what they saw was him at the entrance of the kingdom. And I think this is exactly the image that we have here, and no wonder they break out in song. No wonder they sing. Henry Morris writes an interesting note about this. He says, although the words of the song of the 144,000 are not recorded, it surely dwells in part or at least on the great truth that they have been redeemed of the earth, and we have every reason to believe they are 100% in full joy over the fact that Christ is standing there with him. But when it says no one could learn the song, it really creates a technical problem. Well, what about the rest of the living saints who were going into the kingdom? Uh, the Jews and Gentiles who weren't part of the 144,000. 
could they also learn the song? Well, that would have to be a question. It doesn't give us that. Well, it's not necessarily meant to exclude those, except that John's writing about these 144,000. I don't see any reason why they couldn't join and sing, but it does it just doesn't give it to us here. Uh, in chapter 15, we are going to see another song that is going to be sung, the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, the song of the Lamb. And here's part of it, and it's going to give us that. So, again, it's somewhat a difficult passage to try to dissect every little piece, and I'm not sure the Lord would have us to do that and to make something of the 144,000 as separate from any of the other surviving people during the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation period. So, now, praise and and, 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 and the protection, but also in verses 4 and 5, I want to give you one last thing here before I close this out, and that is the purpose. Uh, the purpose here. So we've seen, number one, the protection, verse one. Number two, the praise, verses two and three. Number three, the purpose. Uh, how, how is it that they can do this? Well, there's a, there's a purity involved in this, and this purity says they have kept themselves chaste. Now, these 144,000 have not been defiled by women. Uh, there again, it's a problematic passage, and there's so much uh, out there. Some have suggested this means there were 144,000 single men who have never been married. Uh, and then some say, well, they, they could not have been married because sex defiles the body. But yet we read in Hebrews chapter 13 that sex within marriage doesn't defile anybody. Hebrews, I think, is very clear, isn't it? Uh, the bed is undefiled. So I don't think this would mean they're not married, but I do think they have remained chaste. And what I think it could mean is morally pure uh, from, the, from the culture out there that was going crazy with the sexual innuendos and connotations that were taking part in, in the seduction into other religions, uh, all this out there, and the praise and the uh, goes to these guys who have been able to remain chaste from all that is out there uh, and all the sexual perversions out there. They have remained true and loyal if they are married in their marriage and also to the Lord. Now, the last part of this would be their 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 purpose also would be to follow the Lamb wherever He goes. That is an amazing thing to be able to say and man, they're going to follow him right into that kingdom. Uh, and so I think we can see this, but they, they still had to have the faithfulness of everyday Christian walking. Now imagine these men, are, it says actually in Revelation chapter 7, that they are protected. It doesn't say they're supernaturally guided every day through a, a seal of protection or a bubble about them. Uh, even though that would be very similar to what they had, this protection. But still, when they woke up in the morning, they had to depend on on the, on the, the pr- provisions of God. They, they had to depend on the power of God, just like we have to depend upon Him to uphold us and to keep us. And He promises that, doesn't He? He'll take care of that part. You don't have to worry about this. You want to be standing when the smoke clears. Uh, you want to be a conqueror. You want to be triumphant. You want to be a man who is a victor like these 144,000 were? Then remember this, the benediction of the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep 
you from stumbling to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and without great and with great joy. That is Christ. And so we have to depend on the power of Christ every day as it's getting worse and worse. Now, granted, they did too during a time of the tribulation and judgment when the restrainer was removed and all evil is breaking loose with all demonic and sexual uh, problems in the world. It's just amazing that they still had to depend on Christ. So the question would be for us, do you believe in the power of God to keep you? Do you believe in the power of God to protect you, to take you through the battles of what we call battles, but would not be anything compared to what the 144,000 went through? After all, I'm reminded of a verse that I had one of the gentlemen in our church used to always quote this verse to me. Uh, in Philippians 1.6, I am confident of this very thing, that he who begun a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you believe the confident words of Christ. All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and I have lost none of them, but will raise him up on the last day. You see, folks, our daily Christian life is dependent on the power of God. He will keep his own. Do you believe that if God is for you, who can be against you? He who didn't spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. As Romans 8 says, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring any successful charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, it was raised at the right hand of God who intercedes for us. Therefore, it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation? No. Distress? No, but we can read those words. But here are these 144,000 who had to live through the tribulations, the persecutions, the distress, the famine, the nakedness, the peril, the sword, death. They saw that death, life, angels, principalities, things present, things to come, power, height, depth, any created being, no, nothing can separate. Because there they stand victorious. Folks, let me tell you something. It all comes down, and it's all related to the very power of God. To the very power of God. That's what I'm talking about. And so I just want to say, you know, may the Lord bless you. Thank you so much for joining me today. So for now, this is William Rogers thanking you again for joining Hope for the Heart 